Welcome to Northgate's podcast. We pray you enjoy the teaching of God's Word. May the Holy Spirit encourage, exhort, and comfort you. We invite you to come and see what the Lord is doing at Northgate. Come and grow with us. May you be blessed by the God of hope. Back earlier in the spring, there we... Uh, I think the, maybe the leaders had come up with a list of potential topics to speak on over the have people speak on over the summer and uh, there was a list there of, of topics and Dan and Doug sort of grabbed a bunch and then Dan said well you don't just have to take the ones that are left you can speak on anything but there was <laughs> there was one that jumped out at me that was left on the list and it was um, commit uh, contentment and that was there and I thought well initially I thought you know I think I'm a reasonably content person I think I can talk on this um, and you know, it's a process. I, I don't know if, you know, as you dig into these things, and it's one of the things I like about speaking is you're forced to dig in and sort of learn and really think about things, is, you know, I started to ask myself some questions about contentment. Um, but, you know, one of the things that jumped out at me, I think, is there's, there's three, you know, love, joy, peace are sort of the hallmarks of the Christian faith. And contentment is really tied to at least two of those really closely, joy and peace. I don't think you can break away contentment from having joy and peace. Love's maybe a little bit different. So it's such a key thing in our, in our lives. But when you start to think practically, what is contentment? That's where I think it becomes a little more challenging. I don't know. Things that came to mind immediately for me were, I mean, I tend to have some perfectionist times. Maybe I'm a bit of a perfectionist overall. And, you know, how does that line up with contentment? I can be uncontent with things that aren't close, close to perfect sometimes. Um, ambition or just goals in life. How, how does contentment fit with, with that? Personally, I'm not someone who sits still well. I generally am going somewhere, you know, in life in general. Does that mean I'm not content? Um, and, and, you know, these are some of the things I thought through, but I, there's other words. You know, I just started to think about how does it relates to, relate to laziness? You know, are they the same thing? Complacency, kind of the same thing. Ambition, goals, desires, fate. You know, some, you know, just a fatalistic attitude. Peace, happiness, apathy. So there's good and bad words in there, but how do you take, how does contentment relate to those, those various things? As we as we start to think practically about it, and there's real there's real sort of questions hidden in a lot of those words. You start to think about it, you know. Be content with what you have, but what does that mean? If if I'm looking at my family and saying, I think I need more just to s- supply the life that you know that would make us you know able to do the things that most other people around me are doing. Is it non-contentment to desire to to have that little bit more? What if I just don't like my job? I can relate to that at, at times. You know, does is it not contentment to think I'd like to be somewhere else? Um, I just tried to pick some different things here. We can all relate to different things, but, you know, I can relate back to when we were younger and thinking about kids. Some people are look, desiring a, a child or another child and you know it maybe it's not happening is that discontent to desire those kinds of things for some of the younger people here you know marks when you're dealing with high school university whatever and you're thinking eh, they're not so great 
Where does contentment fit fit in there? You know, am I just satisfied with that? Maybe I'm not getting the marks I want. You know, is it uncontent to to want to do better? I don't feel used by God. I want to be used more by Him. You know, is is that dis, discontentment to to have that desire, suffering or seeing suffering in the people around me, and wanting that to change? Is that discontent? Evil in the world around me. Maybe it's impacting on me. Maybe I just see it impacting the world. Again, is it discontent to want to desire that to change? Do you even want to do something about that? When I sin. And I keep sinning, and I struggle with it. Do I just be content with that? Or do, you know, again, so, so as you start to take that word, and you start to break it apart and all these different things, and you start to ask these questions, it becomes a, perhaps a little more difficult to understand what, what really contentment is. But there's lots in the Bible that says contentment's a good thing. That's no doubt. Hebrews 13, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. Um, Ecclesiastes 4.6, and yet better off to have one handful with quietness, or the sometimes translated tranquility or contentment, than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. And if you go through Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, there is piles of verses that, you know, whether they use the word content or not, are just talking about being content. Um, so what is contentment? That's maybe the first question you have to you have to ask. I guess with all these things of Google is my friend when you start, right? So you just started Googling what 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 is contentment? And the definitions you get are not bad. A state of happiness or satisfaction. To be happy with what you have, who you are, and where you are. A state of satisfaction that it transcends the allure of basic needs and desires. Um, contentment is a state of flux in which you find yourself at peace with yourself and the world around you, satisfied with your life. Contentment is when I'm able to let go of worry, the state of being mentally or emotionally satisfied with things as they are. Those all sound pretty good, right, when you start to think that turn them apart. And if you, tear, if you sort of try and summarize, it's kind of you get into, there's the concept of happiness. Happiness is kind of a in-the-moment thing. You know, you have an emotion of, of happiness, and that's there. And then contentment is sort of bigger than that. It's not tied to your immediate emotions. It's something deeper than just momentary happiness. A state of mind, maybe, or a, you know, we, we'll talk a bit of, I think it's more than just in the mind, but it's in the heart. But it's really that of, of just of at peace, not being worried. Well, that sounds easy, doesn't it? I mean, just... Just get there. And that's, you know, when you start to read articles sort of just on non-Christian articles on contentment, everyone, you know, the psychology around contentment is that it's super important. People who aren't content in life struggle. But when you read all these articles, they've got no path to get you there. That's what I took out of them. It's, it's really important, but it comes down to just be content. You know, they might tell you to stop worrying. They might give you some, you know, Talk about using yoga or various mechanisms to to try and bring this contentment to you, but they don't. There's no real answer of how do you get from here where I am today in some sort of state of discontent to contentment. And so I think that's the exciting thing, right? Is we have it. God has given us the answer 
to contentment. He not only says this is where you want to be, that it's important, but he says how to get there. And just kind of as an aside, I have found it absolutely fascinating. I've been reading some pod, uh, reading, listening to some podcasts recently. One of them's on a lot of psychology. And it's really interesting when you actually listen to them because they go through, you know, all this, the evidence, the, the, um, the research that's been done on these different pieces of psychology. And when they get to the answer, you say, that's what God said already, right? It's, that's how people work. That's what God wants for us. And, you know, all, it's just, I find it fascinating. You can go through all this research and so on, and you come back to this answer of, well, just do it the way God said, and, and it works. So I was just kind of aside, and I, I found that really fascinating over the last little bit as I've been li- listening to, to just this, out of interest to the, these podcasts. And it's both on the good side. It's how do you be content, but also some of the, the evil we see in the world and how is that, how that works in people and groups of people and so on. It, it ties back so closely to what God says about sin and our own, you know, our innate, um, sinfulness. So it's, I thought, find that very interesting. So before we go to what the Bible says about contentment, I thought it might be worth looking at why, why are we discontent? So what, what makes us discontent in our life? And I kind of broke it into three areas. I think you can break these up different ways and maybe the three aren't the best summary, but the first one is not being satisfied with who we are. And there's a few different things there, but I think one of them is we're worried about our past. We've done things. We've sinned. We've made mistakes. And we're unhappy with that. It's nothing we can change, but it affects our life today with discontent. We are always looking back and saying, I'm not good enough anymore because of what's happened in the past. Maybe way in the past, maybe yesterday. But that, that's keeping us discontent. And maybe the, our ability to change as well is part of that. I think sometimes we're unhappy with who God made us is what it comes down to, right? We look at ourselves and say, man, I don't really like me. And sometimes it's not that deep. Sometimes it's, you know, just our image of ourself, uh, what we look like, personality, um, you know, our skills, lack of skills, you know, whatever it is, we look around, we see other people and we say, man, I wish I wish I was more like that. You know, I don't, I'm not really that happy with just who I am. And then I think sometimes it's our ability to serve God. As Christians, we're saying, I wish I could do more. Look at that person over there. They're having a huge impact. How come me in my life right now, I feel so small and unable to, to do those big things that maybe God's put in my heart as a Christian that I want to be able to do? So I kind of lump those in together with not being satisfied with who we are. They're probably quite different, but I think that's one of the reasons that we we're discontent. The second one is maybe the one that's most obvious, is we're not satisfied with what we have, right? I mean, there's just, in our society today here in North America, everything around us is designed to make us discontent with what we have. If we just have something else, we will somehow be happier, and maybe we'll finally reach that state of contentment, right? That's that's advertising is just, that's what it is, is designed to do that to us. And our whole society is just sort of, laps it up and and we're just embedded in it it's one of the things i love when we step out to honduras is you kind of get out of that and you kind of get to look back into it to a little bit and even though you're only gone for a week you say 
wow, that's kind of weird. And you just kind of have, have you get a little bit of visibility because when you're here, it just feels, it feels normal, right? It's just part of, part of life. And, uh, but it makes us discontent, you know, jealousy, covetousness, whatever we want to call it. We're discontent because we're, we're missing that something. And then the final one is our circumstances. We're just not satisfied with what's going on. Um, I think one of them is we spend a lot of time worrying about the evil in the world around us, something we have no control over, something that may be having a big impact on us or on other people we see, and we just we want to change that. But sometimes it reaches a state where it makes us discontent because, yeah, it, it's there. We, we don't deny it, but the question is how do we react to that? And then suffering or pain, it may be related to that, but just, I mean, some of us are dealing with that in a major way, big or small, in our families, in our own life, in the lives of people around us. I think in some ways that's the hardest one, I, I, at least for me, is because it's it's very real, it's it's personal often, and sometimes there's no way, there's no way out short of a miracle. So, but but the question is, I think it's certainly a source of discontent, and we'll look a little bit at how do we get from there to where God wants. And then lastly, just call it worry or anxiety about the future. Right? It's it's sort of taking a worry that we won't be contented in the future and pulling it back to the now so, and worrying about it. It makes us discontent right now. We're kind of saying, you know, there's something I see happening or I can't control, and that's going to make me some down the future I won't be able to be happy, so I'm going to worry about it now. Right? And so I think those those are the buckets that I kind of came up with anyways as I was thinking about this that, that make us discontent. And I'm sure all of us, I don't doubt all of us can relate to those, or maybe we have other ones, some of those anyways. I'm sure different people are going to have different ones. We all have ones that I say personally probably grab us more than others where our discontentment comes from. But I, I suspect all of those ones someone can relate to one way or another. So how do we get to contentment when we're sitting here dealing with one or more of those day to day? How do you become content? What's contentment look like from from a biblical perspective? So I think let's let's tackle them one at a time. The first is we're not satisfied who we are. And I'm going to go through a bunch of verses here just because I think that's the best way of kind of looking at it. I'll go through them pretty quick, so probably hard to keep up. But um, the first one is trust in God's grace. Corinthians 12, 9, 10 says, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults, hardships, persecutions, troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am for when I am weak, then I am strong. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weakness. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor from God. It's what God wants to give us. And he says, in your weakness, in your suffering, in your pain, that's when I am most able to show you that grace that I want to give you, to demonstrate my power, to over, not to necessarily take it away, but to take you, make, allow you to be content 
in that. And so just knowing that, I think, is, is key, right? God can work and wants to work and wants to give us, you know, His grace. First of all, that He died for us and took our sins away. That's the first part. But it goes beyond that. It's, it's actual in the day to day of life and the pain and the sorrow we've got here that we can have that grace that He wants to give us, that we know that He is there. He's trustworthy and for each one of us that looks a little bit different but that that we have him there in that. Poverty, pain, you know, pleasure. Second second part towards trusting, you know, or finding contentment when we're not um, satisfied with who we are is just trusting in God's love and what he says about us. I think sometimes we tend to think of this as, you know, certainly if you've worked with youth, you're often talking to them about, you know, image and how they perceive and so on. But I think as it, as adults, we don't necessarily get away from that. We're still often looking at ourselves. We probably do a better job of, of hiding it and maybe settling into some level of content or discontent around it. But it's still there. So I think it's still important for us. Genesis 1, 26, 27 says, we are made in his image, the very image of God. Right? That's not physical, obviously. But he made us in his image. That's the core of who we are is made in the, the image of God. Image in the Old Testament just sort of talks to the core of who someone is. It's who they really are. And that's, that's, you know, who God really is. We can't necessarily identify that specific list of characteristics. We can talk about a lot of them, but, you know, we are made in that image. Psalm says, Psalm 139 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made and all the days of God's life, days of our lives were written in God's book before we were ever born, confirming God's prior knowledge and plan for our lives. Again, the details of exactly what that looks like sometimes are hard to understand, but he knew us before we were born and, you know, the days of our lives were written in God's, God's book. That's, that's pretty amazing. Right? He, he, we're not just random here. He, he knows each one of us. Our self-worth is too often based upon what other people tell us about ourselves. And again, I'd come back, that may be, you know, in some cases that may be an individual actually some, saying something unkind to you. But more often than not, I think it's just the pressure of society around us saying, you should be like, like this. And we sort of slowly absorb that in. And then start to think we're not, we don't measure up. Um, and that's not the Bible, right? The Bible is God made us who we are, the way God wanted us to be. With sin, we, we sin. But the core of us is made in, in God's image. And he's given us a way out of that, that sin. Or the, at least the impact of the sin. We'll probably, we won't get to the point we ever stop completely, but he's certainly given us help there. He gave up his own life to die for us. That's how valuable he treats each each one of us. So I think, you know, we've probably all heard that before, but I think when we're struggling with not being satisfied in some way with, with who we are, it's coming back to those core truths about what God wants for us, who God says we are, what he's done for us in dying for us. And as I, as I think about this, there's also the part of what we do for God. And, you know, God doesn't need us, right? He puts us in. He wants our desire to be on, on him. But it's not our actions. And Dan's talked about this many, 
many times. It's not our actions. It's not what we can do somehow that what God is what God is looking for. It's where our focus is. And he will use that. If our focus is in the right place, he will use that as he chooses to, to, to impact people around us. But if we measure our impact by what we see immediately around us, it's, you know, we may or may not see a lot of impact, but that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for the, what happens on the inside, and he'll use that. Not being satisfied with what we have. I think there's a, there's a number of things we could look at here, but a few verses jumped out. First is we want to have an eternal perspective. First Timothy 6, 6 to 8. Yet truly, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing when we came into the world and we take, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. So what's happening here on earth is not the big picture. If we're focused on eternity, things tend to fade here and become less important. And again, you know, it's just, we often, our barrier for, for need is pretty high. And I think God says, you know, don't worry so much about that. Let me decide what you need and you focus elsewhere on me. And I think if we take that attitude, a lot of stuff starts to become more in perspective. Some of this is a choice. Hebrews 13.5, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Kind of restating the same thing, but part of this is a choice to be content, to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm okay with what I've got right now. That doesn't mean necessarily that I wouldn't like to be somewhere else. I, I have a desire and I think I... but. I'm going to trust you that where I am right now is okay. Right? And you will provide as I need. That's, that's a conscious choice we have to, to make. And we may have to make it, you know, we may have to pick up our cross daily in some cases doing that because it's not going to be one that necessarily is, is easy every day. But if, if we make it and we think about that, that, that's part of contentment. Choosing to be content. And then, I mean, again, he will provide. Matthew 6.25 33, I won't read it all, but it says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, what you, whether you have enough food or drink or clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your, bother, your, your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And then if you jump down a bit, it says, basically continues to just build on that. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. And then I think this is the key thing. How do you get out of that? Seek first the kingdom of God above all else. That's so it's, you know, don't worry. But then he gives us the antidote. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's really the same thing each time, right? Keep your focus on on him and not down here on our on our day-to-day circumstances. And then finally, not satisfied with our our circumstances, we can do all things through gives us through Christ who gives us strength. Philippians 4 says, "Not that I was ever in need, this is Paul talking, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When circumstances don't look great, when they look horrible, 
Paul, you know, is writing this after having been through, and I don't know exactly where it was in his the, his journey of being imprisoned and beaten and so on, but, you know, he's not writing this from the perspective of someone who had it easy. He's writing it from the perspective of someone who dealt with a lot of pain and suffering, and he's saying, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's the antidote to to our circumstances that don't look, um, you know, that aren't easy from our perspective. God works all things for good. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? We may not see it, but God is working for good in us. And then, finally, Philippians 4, 5-7. to Always be full of joy. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. And again, this is the key thing. Instead, pray. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds when you live in Christ Jesus. Pray. Be thankful. Right? It's that attitude, again, of pray, be thankful for what I've got. And God will do things in us that we don't even understand in terms of bringing us peace, bringing us contentment. So what what really is contentment from a biblical perspective then? Uh, again, this may not be a perfect summary, but it's an attitude of thankfulness in faith. That it's it's contentment is tied to our being thankful for what God has given to us, not looking at what we don't have, but being thankful for for what we do. Acceptance for where we are, even though we may hope for change, right? Accepting that God is good, that He has a plan. You know, that he works all things for good where we are now, even though we may very well hope to be somewhere else. And I, I don't think that hope or that desire or the goal is wrong at all, but it's the acceptance, the thankfulness in where we are now that gives us contentment. A focus on God's desires, not our own. An eternal perspective. It's God's, it's the sort of the statement of God's will be done lived out day to day in our life. It's saying, God, your will be done. I've got th- these goals, these plans, these desires, you know them, but your will be done in my life today. And that's where I think the source of contentment is, is that it's the focus. It's not a lack of, you know, desire for change. It's not hoping to be out of the circumstances, but it's saying our focus is on God's will be done. And then God, I'm going to trust you to to take that wherever, whatever it is. There's a few verses with this. You know, just Psalm 37, 3 to 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. And, you know, this is always a bit tricky, right? Just he'll give us our heart's desires. What are our heart's desires? The reality is it's if we're focused on God, our desires end up being his desires. And then he's able to give us everything he wants. And the amazing thing with that is, in the end, we discover that's really what brings us contentment, right? It's our desires being his desires that, that, that do that. So if we trust in that, trust that he'll change us to have the right desires, then we get the, the contentment he promises. Matthew 5, 6, God blesses those who hunger and search for justice, that they will be satisfied. 
And then I thought these verses were good, amazing. Jesus replied, this, anyone who drinks the water will soon become thirsty, but those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. God, Holy Spirit in us, you know, inside of us, our deep longings for Him, He will satisfy those perfectly forever. And that is true contentment. Again, it comes down, if that's our focus, if that's our interest, that's our desire to be focused on him, then he, he can fully satisfy that. And we live in complete contentment, despite the pain that's of living in a broken world at the same time. It's a desire for a relationship with God and trusting him to provide everything we need. So that's basically it. But there's two songs as I was going through this, and they just popped into my mind. One of them I probably haven't thought of for I don't know how long. Um, but it's just I wanted to read them through because I, they really sort of, um, yeah, they, they summarize, I think, in a lot of ways. And sometimes the, the poetry of, of song is, is sort of useful. So this one's called Trust in Me. Um, I found a couple people that sang, sang it, but... I'm not, I don't think it's the version I knew, and it's quite old, older than I thought. But um, it says, there's so much going on around me, and I'm not sure I like the things I see. Looking through the eyes of unbelief, it's hopeless. But the one who holds my hand says, trust in me. Sometimes my life is like a whirlpool as I go on spinning round so endlessly. But in the middle of my whirlpool, there's a stillness. For I hear a voice that's saying, trust in me. If I could climb the highest mountain, if the world and everything belonged to me, I could never really find true satisfaction for the one who made it all says trust in me. Trust in me when you know you're sinking. Trust in me when things are falling apart. Trust in me, I will never leave you. Trust in me, you'll have peace in your heart. And I thought that just kind of summed, summed it up beautifully. And then one that probably everyone knows well, but uh, it really it kind of sort of struck me in a new way. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful faith, face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And it was that last little bit that just... When you focus on him, if we turn our eyes on Jesus, the things on the earth just go strangely dim. And I think strangely is important there. We don't get that. That's not natural to us. But they go dim. And then we have contentment as we focus focus on him. So that's what... Thanks for listening. If you want any information about our church, check us out at northgateministry.com. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, you can listen at YouTube at Northgate Ministry.